First Timothy chapter uh, three, and we'll just continue our, our study through the book of First Timothy. Last time we were here, uh, we looked at the first part of the first part of the the chapter, and looked at the office of the the bishop or the pastor. And so now we're going to continue on and look at the the office of the deacon. And obviously, as you you've observed in our in our church, both in our history and also currently, we do have deacons. And um, I want to say uh, from the outset, I appreciate th- these men, appreciate their labor for the Lord and and their service to the church. And uh, really, as we we go through this, this isn't this isn't an examination uh, of them. But uh, it really, it's just going through here the qualifications of, of a deacon. And so look at, uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and notice verse 8. It says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, but not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, and let, let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus." These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. And so, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just um, cover these, these verses regarding the deacon. And, um, you know, as we go through the, the scriptures um, in, in this way, I hope that uh, we're, we're just recognizing that sometimes there's just a need to just, to just know. That, um, you know, sometimes we, we are guilty in, in both in our presentation of the Word of God to, to sort of cater for us, but... It's just good to have Bible knowledge, right? And, and really that's the point of, of our time here tonight is just to know and, um, and God's thought and God's mind on the qualifications of the deacon. And so the word deacon here is uh, from, the, from the root word, the, the Greek root word diakonos, which simply means an attendant, uh, someone that waits upon or serves. Um, there's some synonyms of the, of the word um, a deacon and it's a word minister and servant, and uh, and sometimes it's um, it's given that uh, that uh, that phraseology in in scripture. Uh, but we note here that this is another office of the church, and he goes on and he, he spoke about in verse one the, to desire the uh, the office of of a bishop, but then he says likewise, all right, and in in our reading likewise must the deacons be, and so there's a there's an understanding that within the, the, the church there that there was in existence those who were overseers or bishops in the church or pastors, but then also there were deacons. There were those that were called to assist in the, in the work of the ministry. And, and so we see here that um, what's given to us are, are not the specific duties of the deacons. However, what is given to us are the specific characteristics of the deacons. And so I find that interesting, and, and really as you, you look through Scripture, the only other mention of this word deacon and uh, this, uh, is really found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, 
where in that, Paul, in his greeting, along with, uh, greets them along with the saints in Philippi. And so as we consider the definition of, a, of the deacon uh, and, and notice there the pattern for them in Scripture, uh, we're gonna, let's look at firstly Acts chapter 6 and we see from early on just their appointment. And uh, we'll learn some things here. Look at Acts chapter 6. And um, as, as you look at uh, church history, uh, this chapter is, is one that, uh, that has been pointed to as really the, the, the origin or uh, the, really the, the, the office where it has arisen from. And so Acts chapter 6, and look at verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. And so there was a very real problem. Right, there was a very real concern there that, that there was a, a certain portion or a certain part of the church that was being neglected. And then notice the, the response. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So those that were elders in the church who had, uh, had the, the task of, of teaching the word, they, they gathered together and, and the, those around them and... Uh, their response was this, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. They understood that they had a specific role and a specific calling and something specific that they had to do, and that was to do with the Word of God, the, the, the teaching of it, the communication of it. And so they recognized then that this was, there was an, a need there. Wherefore, brethren, notice here, look ye out in verse 3, among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So they're saying over this task, over this need that has arisen. And so in response to a genuine concern, a real need, their, their response was that the, the elders would appoint and look out for those that would, be, uh, would serve in this way. And notice what they say, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so they, the, the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. So they chose some whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. And notice there. And so when, when the elders were, were and the, the pastors were given that, uh, that freedom to be able to, to study and pray and and to be able to communicate the Word of God, these men stepping in resulted in the Word of God increasing and the number of the disciples multiplying in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And so the result was, because of, the, because of them stepping in to fulfill this needy part of the church, was the Word of God then increased. There was an, the ability to... to uh, to spread forth the Word of God. And, um, and they were given this task of waiting on the church. Notice the, the wording, the terminology was to serve tables. It, it was to uh, be appointed over this business or this task or this need. And, and so it was a service-oriented role. And so as we study through the characteristics of the deacon, we must consider that, that really they are only appointed as needs arise. So as the need arose for them to be appointed, they were appointed. And we recognize that in Scripture. And, and 
as much as they are an office, uh, the, the thing that is emphasized throughout, uh, throughout the, the churches there in the, uh, in the New Testament is that elders would be ordained everywhere, which is the pastor. But regarding the deacons, it was as appointed, appointed as needs arose. And so it's, it's an important part of the growth of a church and the ability for a church to care for those who are in need and the, the practical needs of the church but it was, they were appointed as needs arose. And, and there's no emphasis placed on the office per se. Uh, again, in fact, they're only mentioned there in 1 Timothy and then in, in, Philippi, uh, in Philippians. But the emphasis is placed for them in their servitude, uh, in the servitude of a deacon. In their service through practical service resulting, again, with, with the same goal in mind of the furtherance of the gospel. Right? That's, what, that's what church is about. It's no other agenda. It's the, the agenda of the gospel. And so when we play our part, and, and again, I'm thankful for the men that God has called in our, in our, um, in our church family, uh, men that are familiar to you, men who are, are here tonight, barring Brother June, who's not well this evening, but their, their, their role in the church is to serve the body. It's to serve. It's to assist the, the those who are in the pastorate, uh, that to, as, they as we continue to uh, study the Word of God and, uh, and be in much prayer. And so they, they serve practically, resulting in the furtherance of the gospel. Someone said it this way in regard to this, uh, this portion of Scripture. This passage does not spell out the functions of a deacon, but simply clarifies the type of person who qualifies to be a deacon. Overseers and deacons are distinct in their function, but similar in character. So uh, here, Paul, in continuing his instruction uh, regarding order in the church, he sets forth uh, qualifications for deacons rather than duties, so that the, the men chosen for this office were spirit-controlled assistants for the pastor or pastors. They were to assist the pastor or pastors in the service of the needy in the church. And so when we're going to look at these, uh, these uh, portions of Scripture, what we're going to see is not functions of the, uh, of the deacons. Because, because there they may be different needs in different congregations. And they may function differently as, as the Lord leads the, the pastor and, and the, the need for, for the, within the local body. But what God wants to be consistent in is the kind of character that his men have. That's, that's, that's what he wants consistency in. And, and so we're going to see here just some characteristics of a deacon. And so let's start. Let's look at verse 8. And notice there, likewise. So in the same, in the same instruction, in the same seriousness, in the same um, order, as he laid out the office of the bishop or the overseer or the pastor, He's going to lay out the characteristics of those deacons. So he starts off and he says they are to be grave. Okay, that word grave simply means serious or not showy. It, it really denotes this, their dignity. They are dignified. Um, that means they're just not flippant in their actions. They're grave. Um, notice the next thing. It says, be grave, not double-tongued. Okay, not double-tongued simply means this. They're not ambiguous in speech. 
Which means this, what they say is what they are. Their, their talk matches their walk. And really that denotes their integrity. That means they're not misleading in their speech. That, that, mean, that means that they're, they're, uh, they have integrity. That their character is some, something that is proven. Notice the next thing. So we've seen not grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. All right? Not a drinker. Not under the influence of another thing. Right? It speaks about that in Ephesians chapter 5. Be not filled with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And so it's speaking about they're not given too much wine. They're not to be drinkers. They are to be given over to the, to the filling of the Spirit and the influence of the Spirit. The next thing is this, and, and similarly to the, uh, to the, the pastor, not, not greedy of filthy lucre. Okay, that, that just simply means not greedy of gain. They're not in it for their own personal gain. They're not in it for the money. They're not in it for some, some, sort, of, uh, some sort of other gain that they can, they can get. Not greedy of filthy lucre. But then notice the next one here in verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. What does that mean? And uh, the mystery of the faith, that's speaking really of, of the faith of the gospel. We see that um, worded that way. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. So he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And he says, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs under the same body and partakers of, this prom- of His promise in Christ by the gospel. So we're saying the mystery was that, that, you know, that Christ would come and that he would, the sa- he would be Savior of all mankind, including the Gentiles who would be grafted into the body. And, and so that's, that's really, in summary, what it is. It's the faith. It's the faith that was delivered. And, and so he's saying here, in, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, He's saying they're holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. So what he's saying there is, is there's a reality of it in their lives and there's a conviction of it in their lives. And, and so not only do they, uh, do, they have, do they vocalize and declare it, but there's a follow-through with their lives. There's a conviction about it. it it's, a convicted, it's a life of conviction. And so when it says they're holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience, it's got the idea that, that you can't question that these men are men of conviction. That they have a conviction regarding the faith. That there's an outflow of the gospel in their lives. They are, they are under conviction of the gospel. And, and what it is, they're living with an obvious and outward display of the gospel change in their lives. And so, again, it's a... It, it's a characteristic of, of deacons that they to, are to hold to that, that they are to be uh, 
men of conviction, that they are to live their lives in accordance to the Word of God, in accordance to the things that are taught in the Word of God, as an outflow of the reality of the gospel in their lives. And so there's a, there's a need for that. So that's verse 9. Look at verse 10. Notice here. And let these also first be proved. Why? It says being found blameless. So let these also first be proved. Then um, this doesn't have the idea of an examination. Okay, so deacons relax. There's no exam tonight. Okay. But this, this has no, it's not an idea of examination in the sense of like, you know, they have to be formally proven. Okay, it's got the idea of not being a novice in the things of, of God. But it's, got the, not, it's not the idea of an examination, but rather this was really an admonition to the church. He's saying that, that as you observe them, that they have a life that has been, has been proven. Those things that have been mentioned, these things that are, are a characteristic of them, in your observation of them, they've proved that. They, they are consistent with that, and, and hence, therefore, not able to be, uh, sorry, being found blameless. All right, and so, really, that's an admonition to the church. And in this way, to really, we as a church, we ought to constantly be looking for those within the body who have the same characteristics as is listed here of a deacon, just in case there is a need that arises and then therefore a need for selection. All right, we should be constantly, and here's how we do that. We look at these characteristics and we want to build them into our men. When we have boys, we should look at these characteristics and go, this is the kind of character I want in my young man. Because really, we, we want to be available, don't we? For service. We, we want them to be ready if... if there, a need arises for there to be another deacon or two appointed, then we want to be able to, as a church, have an immediate recognition of who that might be. And that's the admonition really given to the church. He's saying here, and let these also first be proved. So there's, a, there's an understanding of, of what characteristics we're looking for. And then it's proven there's a consistency. They're blameless in that. And then... Let them use the office of a deacon. And then understand that, that you, you give them the ability to do so. And, and so we see that there, that, that they are to be blameless or without fault or innocent or guiltless in regard to the, these, uh, these characteristics and in regard to their, uh, their calling as in their office. But again, we ought to have the mentality that, that we're raising men with this standard of character. We ought to think that way. Hey, church, listen. You look around, and, and again, I'm thankful. We, we've got some deacons who've served many years. But here's the reality. They're not getting any younger. Some of them would like to think so. But they're not. And the reality is this. It's about passing it on, isn't it? And so we'd like to raise another generation of possible deacons. Because maybe some of these young men, that's the calling that they have. And so we ought to raise the bar a little bit. We ought to look at that and not just, 
observe and I'm glad for the examples that we have. But let that example infiltrate the way we raise and the way we bring up our young people. We ought to look at that in our young people and we ought to, we ought to desire that, that, that kind of characteristic and not desire the office per se, but desire that they would have that kind of character that if God was, was to, if there was a need for an appointment, there would be a choice there. And so we see that there in, um, in, in verse 10. And then notice verse 11, interestingly, says, Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. And uh, we're going to get back to that in a bit. Let's continue on. Notice here in verse 12, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. So a husband, a family man. Okay, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Notice this, ruling their children and their own houses well. And so uh, there's an there's a understanding that, that uh, the home, it correlates into the, the service of the church. And so husband of one wife and then ruling your household well, a good example of his family. If they serve together, if they're faithful um, in, in, their, in the things that they do for the Lord, faithful within their home, within the context of their household, is it run well? Is it, uh, it's not under disrepair. The, 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 uh, their, household, um, their household isn't, under, uh, isn't disorganized and under disrepair or, or uh, their finances, they have, a, they have a, a bad testimony in regard to that. That's called order. And, and God's saying there that, you know, the, that the, the deacon should be this way, should have a good testimony of their home. Um, and so, before that, though, he, he addresses the wife. And it's interesting to me because he doesn't do that for the, for the bishop. And he does that, though, for the deacon's wife. And um, it's interesting in, in, in my study of this, some have used this verse to mean that that word wives mean a partner in ministry as in a deaconess. All right? Um, but as but Paul, because Paul doesn't directly speak about the pastor's wife and her qualifications, they use the, that verse to say there should be deaconesses in the church. But again, if we if we just take that verse, we could we could sort of make that maybe. But we just read verse twelve, right? Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. A lady cannot be a husband. All right, so, so we can see that it's clear it's speaking about literally, literally the deacon's wife. Okay, literally it's speaking about her. And, and he's going to direct some things to the, uh, to, the, um, to the deacon's wife. Firstly, and similarly, he says grave. All right, wives must be grave. So again, it's speaking about dignity, uh, not showy, uh, serious uh, in their outlook uh, regarding the, the work. They are not to be slanderers. That's the next one, which means this, not a defamer, not one who injures another by maliciously reporting something to, uh, for their prejudice. And here, let me just boil it down, not a gossip. Then, then nextly, sober. All right? Sober. That means balanced. That means regular and calm, not under the influence of passion. 
They're not, they're not quick to fly off the handle. But then notice here what he says. Faithful. Faithful in all things. Or not just in some things, in all things. So a consistent life of faith. Again, the idea of being blameless or trustworthy. And, and so there's, 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 a, there's an understanding that there's an importance of, of that relationship between a deacon and his wife that they are to serve together, and that they are to be an example together. And, and so there's a, there's a, again, as we, I'm just trying to get our mindset to be this. This is how we ought to prepare our young people. We, we ought to prepare our young ladies to be this way. So, so it's not just the young men. We want, we want our young men to marry good young ladies. Who will be this way? And so we ought to have that mindset, church, as we raise our children. Again, we want the, the, the faith to be passed on. And as part of that authentic church, we've got to raise an, another generation of possible deacons and deacons' wives who will be this way. And, and so it's important to us, for us to think that way uh, as, we, as we consider this passage of Scripture. All right, um, notice verse 13 then. Verse 13 really is the reward, really the, the reward of the deacon. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And that's a, in, it really summarizes the, the reward. And, and I know our deacons work very, very hard. They'll work behind the scenes, very much unbeknownst to, to many of the church, and, and they, uh, they will labor in support of those who are needy. And sometimes, and really speaking, not from direct experience, but in observation of it from a home where I grew up as a deacon's kid, sometimes it's a labor that's, um, and, and I don't want to make it sound like it's, but it is, it's thankless sometimes. And you know, I, I, I try to do my best as a pastor to recognize our deacons whenever there's work. And, but you know, sometimes they just labor because they labor for the Lord. And sometimes it's thankless. But can I encourage our deacons tonight and, and maybe future deacons? You have a reward. You have a reward. And he's saying here, those that have used it well... Notice what he says. He says here, you purchase to yourselves a good degree. And he says, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So two things. You've purchased something. Something that is good. That means you've invested something. And there's an there's a, there's a, there's a investment that, that, that will reap a good dividend but then also the reward is this, you're going to have great boldness in the faith. You're going to have great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And that's a reward in itself. So, so there's a, there's, notice there, you're going to purchase, so there's a cost involved serving in this capacity. But it's also an investment. Because it says that you're going to purchase a good degree. You're going to get something in return. All right, so, so the asking price obviously is faithfulness in your service for the Lord. 
but you're gonna you're purchasing something, you're getting something in return, and what that is, it's a good degree. It's speaking of your the portion of your reward. And so one day, if you've used the office of the deacon well, you're gonna stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you've invested. And and you know, maybe no one ever ever noticed. Maybe you did things that, you know, you just you just did them because you're faithful. But guess what? God doesn't miss a thing. And you've purchased for yourself or you've invested and one day you'll get a return for it at the judgment seat of Christ. And so you've purchased a good degree. Okay, It's, it's, a, it's something of a qualification. It's something of that it will be returned unto you. It's the portion of your reward. And then he says, in great boldness in the faith, which is, is, is in Christ Jesus, you're going to have great boldness. To, to preach the faith and to give the gospel, but then also as a result of your labor, then the gospel can go out. And that's a reward in itself. And so the result is a great boldness to, uh, for, the gospel to, for the gospel to be preached. And uh, a, de- a deacon is given that role to wait upon and serve as an attendant so that the gospel, so that the work of the ministry can continue on. And again, as we, we close here tonight, it's interesting to me that the Scriptures here, and really in any of Paul's writings, don't prescribe the duties of a deacon. Okay, what this indicates is that he didn't associate specific tasks with the office. The indication here is that deacons should function as official servants of the church in whatever capacity the pastor or pastors may see a need in. And so again, I want to say uh, publicly tonight, I appreciate our deacons. I appreciate, as I observed, even while I was away, and how you assisted the Casinto family. I know the church did that, but I know the deacons did a lot of that. I know that yesterday they led um, a cleanup day, and, and some of you men were there, but they were there prior to you, and they had organized that. They made the list. They looked around the property. And, and I'm just highlighting that for you because there's, 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 a, there's, there's just a great joy when all of that is done and that, that alleviates a great deal of burden upon my mind. And I've been able to just study. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that as we go about and we, you know, we turn up and we, they, they've organized that the building's clean and all of that's done. And I know some of you labored alongside them with that. So thank you for that. But, you know, I want to say this. Let, let's, let's have the idea of the mindset that, that we're going to raise up some, some of our, ourselves maybe in our own our own character, but then also in the character of those that are going to follow behind us. Let's, let's raise those up so that when the need arises, God can point out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think you get the idea. And, uh, and church, uh, there's a great joy in, in fulfilling our offices for the cause of Christ. All right, let's pray tonight. Father God, again, thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to study through your word. I know it was a quick study this evening. I'm thankful, dear God, that, Lord, as you, you laid it out, Lord, how we ought to do church, that, Lord, we can just trust in your infallible word. And So I pray that you'd help us, Lord. I thank you for our deacons. I pray that you bless them. Lord, I pray that you would help them, Lord, to continue on and, and be, uh, Lord, be energized for the work ahead. Thank you for the way they 
so willingly serve and assist. But then, Father, Lord, also as we look toward the future, I pray that you'd, please, Lord, help us have the mindset, Lord, of raising some, Lord, with this kind of character in mind. That, Lord, we would be purposeful in raising up our own selves, but raising up our children for the uh, nurture and admonition of you. And so we thank you for it, and thank you for the, the, the day that we've had together in your house. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you for all your goodness, and we look forward to the week ahead. Pray that you'd help us, Lord, to just be constantly aware of the need, Lord, of others, Lord, and the need for the gospel to be given. I pray that you give us boldness through the week to, to preach you. And Lord, I pray that we live for you this week in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right, let's all stand.